We'll start in First Peter chapter 3. One of the most uh, profound moments in my own personal walk with the Lord was approximately 20, or not quite 20 years ago, 19 years ago, when a, a dear friend of mine and a professor now at Master's Seminary asked me the question, uh, why did Paul long to preach the gospel to Christians in Rome? And why did he long to preach the gospel to saved Christians in Rome? Because, you know, he writes the letter, Paul writes the letter in Romans to Christians that are thriving Christians. Many of you know this. I've talked to you about it before. One of the reasons why it was so earth-shattering for me was that I had gone to church since I became a believer all to see God work in other people's lives. I, I thought Sunday morning was all about the altar call. I thought it was all about that time to see God save another person. And that the gospel was ultimately for those that were lost. And when you preach the gospel, people get saved. And that was why I went to church. I went to see more people become a believer like me. So when he asked this question, why did Paul long to preach the gospel to saved Christians in Rome, right before Romans 1.16, I was thrown off. And for some reason, he didn't answer the question, various providential things, he didn't answer it for a month. And for a month, we kept asking him every week, and he kept asking the question and not giving us the answer. And we couldn't figure it out. We read the book of Romans probably 20 to 30 times trying to figure out what is he talking about. Finally, he explained that ultimately the gospel is just as much for Christians as it is for unbelievers. That we all need the gospel. We need the gospel as believers in order to be sanctified, to be who we are in Christ. And ever since that moment, I've had those moments where the light bulb would come on and I would see another aspect of the gospel lived out in my life daily is profound truth. Knowing and enjoying and understanding the gospel in a believer's life is something that we do and we should grow in all the time. And ever since then, I've had these little moments where, oh, that's again that same thing. Well, today, I did not have an introduction to my sermon and I was struggling. Where am I going with this? Where am I going with this? And the whole message came together as I was driving in, and I thought, oh, that's it. And you're like, what? Ladies, I want to encourage you as we get it back into this passage. You are an opportunity for your husbands to be preached the gospel to every day. They need the gospel every day. Your men do. They need it to be leaders. <laughs> they need it to honor God. And you know how they see it? By you submitting to them. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. How does that preach the gospel? Because Jesus submitted to the Father. When you submit, when you submit, you show a reflection of the gospel. And even when the husbands are unreasonable. Because after all, didn't Jesus submit under 
unreasonable bosses, for lack of a better term, governing officials. Every time you do this, you preach the gospel to us, and we need it. So we come to our passage, and we're going to continue on. I want you to remember that as we go through this, and we answer questions about this. This is all about an opportunity for our wives to reflect the gospel. And men, you know, it's on us too. As we read in Ephesians chapter 5, we're supposed to be reflecting the gospel also, right? Our wives need the gospel also. And the way we live and what we say reflects it or it doesn't. We all need the gospel. So let's continue on with our questions. We saw last week, the first question was, what is the foundation for a gospel-centered home? And it, it's the gospel. And then we talked about if we eliminate the role of wives established at creation, we actually rob wives of an opportunity to share the gospel in their homes. Remember, the gospel is Jesus submitted to the Father's authority and His plan, which included suffering under wicked authorities so that Jesus could then what? Glorify God and what? Save us. So when you do that, you then reflect the gospel. Second, we saw who gets the privilege of submission and suffering like Jesus. Now, that never really goes off that way. We don't think that way. How many of you, when you have a boss mistreat you, you think, Oh, here's a privilege. Here's an opportunity to reflect the gospel to your boss. It'll change the way we think if we understand that when we're mistreated, this is opportunity time instead of this is a drudgery. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be good. It's not about that. It's about reflecting Christ. How about this? This is one that I've, I've been thinking on even more as we go along. Beloved, let me ask you a question. I know some of y'all are in some really, really, really difficult places at work where you're mistreated and you're not being treated very fairly and it's not very fun to be at these jobs. People mistreat you. Have you ever thought that possibly it's because God sees you as a great potential? I know this sounds, listen to me, as a great potential to show off the glory of God through suffering to your world? Many of us say, well, I don't get to talk to them. I don't get to share the gospel with them. They shoot that down every time. But, beloved, that might be another one of these cases of 3-1 where they can be won without a word by the behavior of your employee. How about this? Instead of looking our, at our circumstances as, why do I always get these bad circumstances? How about looking at it as, maybe God sees that I'm the one, the instrument to live the gospel out in front of people so that they can see it. It's a privilege. That's where the ladies are here. These ladies in this passage are having to submit to even some of those that disobey the word. Which means... By the way, there weren't all kinds of laws out there for mistreatment of wives during that day. Do you understand that men really treated their wives 
much worse than even in our societies. So what did Peter say? Flee? He didn't. I know that's hard to hear, isn't it? I know that's very hard to take in. But beloved, a calling of a Christian to be a gospel reflection is a high calling. So Christian wives, they are the ones that are to be subject to their own husbands, even if some of them are disobedient to the word. The context suggests that at least some of the husbands were unbelievers. And I want to pick back up here and continue our examination of this passage. One question that was raised a couple of times this week to me, a few times this week, the concept mutual submission. Mutual submission. Does anybody know what mutual submission is? That we should all submit to one another. Husbands should submit to wives and wives should submit to husbands. You got it? So husbands submit to wives and wives submit to husbands. Is this a biblical concept? Uh, The answer is no. It's not a biblical concept. There's nowhere in the Bible that it's found ever, not one time. But you can see why the society would want that, right? Our society wants that. Look over, back over at Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go back there for just a second and look at this passage. In order to deal with this question, we need to define some terms. I believe in our postmodern society, one of the biggest problems is words or theological concepts become ambiguous. In other words, we take the, the, our postmodern world, in order to push its agenda on us and push it into the church, they take terms and they confuse the definition of the term so that then they can get you to buy it. Okay? In this case, there's one term that's being redefined by our society and you need to know what it is. And you ready? This is the word. Submission. The word submission itself has been redefined. It's been redefined as something that is mutual. Here, let me just read you Grudem's quote. It, it, it fits perfect. He says, quote, Sometimes the word hupotasso has been understood to mean be thoughtful and considerate. Act in love towards one another. So they define submission as be thoughtful and considerate. Act in love towards one another. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that concept in and of itself, act in love towards one another, is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love each other, right? So when we hear that, we say, oh, well, that makes sense. But that's not the definition of submission. That word doesn't mean that. It doesn't say act in love towards one another. It doesn't mean that. This is not, as Grudem says, a legitimate meaning for the term, which always implies a relationship of submission to authority. In other words, the word submission always means, always in the Bible, always means submission of one person to another authority. That's the way it is. It it always means that to one that's in a rule. And every time it's used in the New Testament, that word hupotasso means that. 
So let's look at a few. For example, Jesus submitting to his earthly parents in Luke 2, 51. Did Jesus submit to his earthly parents? Yes. Did they then turn around and submit to him when he was at that point? No. The role was him to submit to them during that position. Second, the demons being subject to the disciples. Did the disciples then turn around and submit to the demons? No. It's obvious. Roman citizens being subject to the governing authorities. This is in all these passages. Nowhere does it ever show that the governing authorities then submit to the citizens. It doesn't work that way. But you find it interesting. Don't you find it interesting to me? I find it interesting that in our society we make it even government becomes that it's about them doing what we want them to do. Now, I know we live in a democracy, and I understand that, but we have to understand some things that when we set up the republic, I think the guys set up the republic, the idea was that these guys would lead us and govern over us. Once we elected them, they govern over us. And again, it is submission. It doesn't turn around. I don't tell somebody else what to do if they're a governing authority. They have that rule. And the Bible does the same thing. The universe being subject to Christ. Does Christ then submit himself to the universe? No. Unseen spiritual powers being subject to Christ. We'll see that in a little bit. Christ being subject to God the Father. The church members being subject to the church leaders. It's always about a role, a position, one and the other. Wives being subject to their own husbands. We see all these, right? The church being subject to Christ. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus ever say, does Jesus ever call you Lord? No. He doesn't call us Lord. Again, this is just obvious, isn't it? Servants being subject to their master, it doesn't reverse this. Christians being subject to God. We never reverse this. Grudem concludes, quote, None of these relationships ever are reversed. That is, husbands are never told to subject themselves to wives, or nor governing officials to citizens, nor masters to servants, nor disciples to demons, end quote. So, is there such a thing as mutual submission? The answer is no. Nowhere. So what does Ephesians 5.21 mean? Look at 5.21 real quick. It says what? Submitting yourselves or submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? Does it mean that the... Wives submit to the husbands, and then the husbands submit to the wives, submitting to one another. That's what they say at this passage. That's where this passage has been twisted. Is that what it means? And the answer is no, that's not what it means. It means this, real clear from the context. Submission, when a wife submits to her husband, she reflects the spirit working in her life. And this is one example... One example of submitting to one another. 
when a Christian wife submits to her Christian husband, this reflects the gospel, the word of Christ, the spirit of God showing itself off in the wife's life. Do you understand? That's the one example. But he doesn't stop with that example because then in chapter 6, what's he say? Children, obey your parents. That's in the Lord. That's the second example that he gives. And nowhere does it say in that passage that parents ever supposed to obey their children. The answer is no. This is obvious, beloved. This is very clear. And then he goes on to servants submitting to masters. So, now that I've turned my whole sermon into a a seminary thesis, uh, you get the gist? So, why do they do this? Why do they do this? They redefine the term submission to not include submitting to authorities so that they can push their agenda into the church and make the church's roles get mixed up, but there's a bigger evil behind the whole thing. You ready? It's the enemy. The enemy is trying to destroy the gospel. If we buck against... This very important clarification of submitting to authorities in our lives, we actually rob the church of its influence and its ability to show the gospel off in the home. Does that make sense? And so what does Peter do? Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. What does Peter do? Well, he lays this out very clearly. And he says, guess what happens? The gospel has a way of converting souls. What? The gospel has a way of converting souls? Yeah, here you go. You ready? The fourth question. What is the purpose of the wife's submission to authority? What is the purpose? You ready? Here it is. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What is that? Beloved, you got unbelievers and believers, right, that are married. You have women that became believers and husbands that were not believers when the woman was converted. They're together. And so what happens? When the wife submits to her husband, she reflects what? The gospel And even though she doesn't say anything, that message comes through by her conduct. And what happens? God then uses that message to convert. They can be won without a word by the behavior of the wife. That's the point. So you ask this question, all Christian wives in the room that have Christian husbands. You say, well, my husband's a Christian. Why do I need to submit? Why in the world do I need to submit to this man that's supposed to love Christ and should be honoring me? Why? Does that ever go through your head? The answer is, is because he's not in glory yet. What? He's not completely redeemed yet. He needs the gospel. 
He needs the gospel. If you're in sin, men, even if they are Christian men, what do you need? You need Jesus. You need to be reminded of the gospel. And how do you see and hear the gospel? Well, you pick up your Bibles is what you should do, men. You should be seeking Christ, seeking him out. But if a man is being disobedient to the word, even though he's a Christian, does he want to grab his Bible, ladies? No, he might even say something like this. Wife, you need to submit to me. What is that? That's a man trying to lord his role over a wife. That's a man in the flesh. What does he need? Well, he needs you to turn around and say, Pastor Mike said that you're in your flesh. (laughs) When you say that. No, ladies. Now, here's where it really gets hard. But I'm being honest. No, that's not necessarily what it means. It might mean saying this. You're right. That's what the Bible says about my role. I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to pray from my heart to do it with joy and love to reflect the gospel. Let me tell you, you say that to a man that's being prideful, using his authority, do you know how much that's going to squash him? And if that gospel message of you submitting to it and not defending yourself and turning it back on him, that's going to squash him. And if it doesn't, he has a heart problem. This is a high calling, ladies. I admit it. You have a very, very high calling. You have to live with us wicked sinners. Now, at this point, some of the single ladies in the room and the single men in the room, they're saying, wait a second, that doesn't fit for me. Oh, yes, it does. How many of those roles do we talk about that you are in? Every one of you have some kind of submission level. You're in some kind of relationship. You have this now. We all have these positions, don't we? And again, I cannot stress this to the men enough in the room. Oh, how much we want our ladies to do this. But how well do we do it in the authorities in our life? How well do we do it to authorities in our life? Are we always trying to lead? Are we always trying to be the one telling other people what to do? So then you marry somebody and you say, I want her to submit to me. And it irritates you when she doesn't. Do you see it in your own lives? Ladies, I kind of feel for you because us men can be sinners and we can even lord it over you being honest and that is sad but I got good news for you God wants to use you in a great way to display the very gospel 
that his son is all about. To show him off. What does this mean for you ladies? It means you must care about your husband's soul. You must care about your husband's soul a lot. You must have an eternal perspective on your own life. You can't see it about the now as much as the eternity. You must love them and want them to go to heaven and to persevere. And we've talked about this numerous times. But do you understand that if a a Christian does not keep going back to the gospel in repentance, what are they? They're a lost person. Did you hear me? If a Christian does not keep going back to the gospel in repentance, they're not saved. Because the Bible says this, that we will persevere to the end. Why? Because the Spirit is working within us and He will preserve us to the end and we will continue to go to the gospel. Right? But if our wives show us this glorious gospel by submitting to us in our disobedience to the Word and we don't go to that and see that and we're not converted or convicted and then called to repentance again, then guess what? You better be afraid for your heart. I'm now speaking Hebrews language. If the repentance is not an ongoing thing in your life, gentlemen, you could be finding yourself in 3-1. You're one of the lost guys. If you use your wife as your ability to control another person for your own good, not for the gospel's sake, shame on you. You need the gospel. You need to realize Jesus is Lord. Ladies, I want to encourage you. Your identity as a daughter of God must be more important than how your spouse views you. When they mistreat you, you must see yourself as a daughter of God. Now, I talked to you last week that does not give any grounds for spouse abuse. But I do want to tell you that there weren't rules like that in 1 Peter 3. There was not, the law wasn't established that way. I don't know about you guys, but when I read the New Testament, I'm convinced that many of these people had deeper walks with God than anything that we have here. I was talking to to mark about this our society is uh, Christians as a whole we have it easy don't we as a whole I think it's because Satan uses two ways to destroy the gospel one way is through trying to snuff it out we don't have that going on right now he doesn't do it by persecution as a whole maybe little bits The other is by deception, by taking the message of the gospel and distorting it so you can't tell what it really is. So you have wheat and tares growing right up beside each other. And that's exactly what happened when you change the definition of submission to something else. Beloved, just realize who's the enemy. The enemy is seeking to put down the gospel. 
we can't fall into that. This calling is great. And so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The purpose of enduring suffering, submitting to a husband, is the husband's soul in God's glory. I had a, a section that I wanted to share about needs, and I talked to my wife about it, and as I read it to her, she was like, Mike, you're going to make men needy. And I get what she was saying. It, it, it makes perfect sense now as I thought back through it. Men, how many of you need to be respected? How many of you need to be respected? Okay. In order for you to lead, do you need to be respected? This is tricky. Question. Do you think that that's why Peter put this here? This is how I was thinking last night. Well, he tells women to submit to their husbands and show them respect so that he could fill their need for respect. Is that true? No! That, no offense, there was a book that went around through our church a while back ago that talked about how men have all these needs for respect and we need to do it in order to build their self-esteem or something, their <laughs> egos. That isn't what we need. We don't need that. But we do need the gospel. Especially when we think our greatest need is respect. Did you hear me? Here's the tricky thing about that. Yes, these arrogant, I know I'm getting really tough, egocentric men need respect. But they need it because of their flesh. The only way to get them out of their flesh is to show them the gospel. And that means submitting without a word sometimes. Men, get over yourself. You need Jesus. If your wife isn't the most submissive wife in the world, you're satisfied with Christ, correct? This is what it's about. It's about the gospel. Showing off the gospel to your spouse. So back to application I made last week. If we eliminate the role of wives, we actually rob wives of their opportunity to show the gospel. We need to be consistent with this definition. Think of the definition of the word evangelism. Evangelism. What does that word mean? The definition. The definition means to proclaim Christ or the good news of Jesus. That's evangelism, right? What if a person said, God never told us to proclaim Jesus to the world? We'd all say what? You're crazy. That's not the definition of evangelism. The definition of evangelism, it does not mean 
proclaim only Jesus. It means proclaim good news and it could be always lead to God. What is that? Garbage. They redefined it to what? Promote their agenda. What do we do? We would say that's wrong. Do the same thing with submission. Don't let the world redefine terms in order to promote their wicked agenda. We have to stay faithful, beloved. Why? So that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. I don't know about you, but I often think of the most effective and efficient ways to win somebody to the Lord is by my words. Anybody else in here? How many of you think, when you're talking to somebody, in your mind you think, okay, if I, if I can get them with this word and this concept and I'm going to logic this out and I can... How many of you are like that? That's me. I, I just give me a bunch of words and I know I can convince them or at least shut them up that their worldview is wrong. It's all about the words, Right? Not in this passage. This passage is amazing. You know what this passage says? That our behavior can actually be used by God to win people to the Lord. Your actions, your conduct can actually have an impact in people's lives. Your life is an apologetic for Christ. So my question is, why would he tell us to do this? Why would he tell the wives to do this? And the answer is real clear, because that's what Jesus did. What does Isaiah 53, 7 state? It says this about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So again, what does this say to the ladies in the room? By saying nothing, often you speak louder. Did you hear me? By saying nothing and living it out, you can speak even louder. Yeah, and everybody in the room said, yeah, that's real easy for you to say. Standing up as an elder of the church and a husband, right? Real easy for you to say, Pastor Mike. Sometimes I think you ladies have a greater calling than I do. I'm convinced of that. But let's look at another question. What does wives submitting without a word look like? He defines it. He shows us. Look at it. What does the conduct that God can use to convert the soul of the unbelieving husband look like? What does it look like? Well, he says it in verse 2. He says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. And again, 
Listen to me closely. This is so important. What is the way that the husband's soul is converted? What does submission look like? It looks like this. When the wife is respectful and pure in her conduct. When she's respectful and honoring her husband and respecting her husband and being pure in her conduct. That's what God uses to convert the soul of unbelieving men. Why? Because it's so opposite of what the world does. That's the opposite. If you have a husband that's a deadbeat, that's rude and unkind, and you still respect that man... And you show respect to him. What does it do? (laughs) It sets him up for two things. One, he's either going to get converted. Or judgment is going to be very, very difficult for that man. For millions of years. Think about this, gentlemen. If there is a man in the room that's unsaved and you have a submissive wife and you have not repented of your sin and your wife has submitted to you all these years and you still reject the gospel, I'm telling you it's going to be a hot place for you if you do not turn. I'm just being honest. Because you are no better than the very Pharisees that watch Jesus. And mock Jesus from the cross. Because you have a daughter of God showing you the gospel all the time. And you're saying, I will not submit to him. That should put shivers through all men's souls. God will not be mocked. You say, but what about all these men that mistreated their wives that said they were Christians all those years? And they mistreated their wives. Do we throw the Bible out because of that mistreatment? No, we say they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. Listen to me, ladies. I know sometimes it's hard. And I know we haven't all been completely redeemed. But don't buy the world's lies. The thing that's going to change your husband's soul is the gospel. Speak it and live it. Women, you're not supposed to be afraid. And I know this is like, yeah, Mike, that's real easy to say, too. Look at verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Do you understand who he's talking to? He's talking to ladies during Bible time that had husbands. That didn't believe. 
Do you understand that the way we see in some of the Arab countries and how women are treated by their husbands? Do we? Do you understand that some of that and how they treated them is what we had here? How? Can he say, do not fear anything that is frightening? Answer? Because a proper fear of God trumps all fear of man. The more we understand who God is and what God's about and how big God is, We see people who are mistreating us as under the judgment of God. And we understand that we fear more for their soul than for our own bodies. That's hard to hear, isn't it? Ladies, what do you need? You need husbands that will live with you in an understanding way. And he addresses that. All right. Ladies, turn. Guys, don't judge your wives. Be honest. How many wives fear sometimes because your husband's running you? It looks like off a cliff. Any wife in here ever go through that? None of the wives want to raise their hands. (laughs) That says a lot to the men in our church. Did you hear me? Any of you wives? If you said, man, I'm really afraid we're about to run off a cliff. You say that to your husband. How many of the husbands say, You don't trust me. Isn't that what what the guys say? You don't trust me. Look, I'm God's man. I can do this. Yeah, any of y'all in here? Hopefully this is really stepping on everybody's toes. Oh, gentlemen. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. What does she need? The gospel. How do you show the gospel? You don't say, get over your fear, let's jump out of an airplane. Without a parachute. You say, I understand. I pray the Lord helps me to understand more. And you know what? I think I need to back off a little bit on this and pray. Because Jesus said, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Sounds like I'm loading you down with a heavy burden. I don't look anything like Jesus. Don't want it to be a burden. 
Is this making sense? We want it to all be this beautiful, perfect picture, don't we? Wives submit to husbands, husbands lead. The Bible doesn't present it that way. The Bible presents it as being gracious and kind and loving. Recognizing that we're both in need of the gospel every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. As we continue to look at this passage and as we go through this passage, we pray, Lord, that you will help us to apply these truths to our lives and honor you with our lives. Father, we are weak, needy people. No, Lord, we don't need all of our needs met, but we need the gospel. We need to be reminded of Jesus. We need to be reminded of our hope in Him. We need to trust You, not each other. Help us, Father, to cling to the truth of the gospel. May You be honored in all that we say and all that we do. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.